Good evening. Uh, this morning we talked about, uh, we, we continued our theme where we're looking at uh, the world through the perspective of Christ or looking at the world through what uh, we could learn of, of Christ. And last week we talked about um, the way we could view creation through the lens of Christ. And this morning we looked at uh, the way that we view humanity. And as we were doing that, I made reference to uh, a very famous psalm, Psalm 8. Uh, it is a psalm where I think the psalmist is in awe of God's love and care and concern for humans and the fact that he's given humans this privileged position in the world that he made. And he says, you know, when I consider the stars and the works of your hands, what is man that you are concerned about him or that you consider him? Or, or what is the son of man that you consider him? You have made him a little lower than God or the angels. We'll talk about that here in just a second. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You've caused him to rule over the works of your hands, over the, the, uh, the beasts of the field, over the birds of the air, over all the created things that you've made. Oh, God, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That Psalm 8, and it's, it's almost like a reflection of the world that he sees around him combined with a reading of the Genesis 1 creation account. Because he, he actually goes on to, you know, he, he describes when God does in Genesis 1 say that he created us in his image, and he says, and let them rule over the beasts of the field and over the birds of the air. And, and he mentions all the things that we are going to be ruling over. Well, that's what Psalm 8 goes on to say. is like, you have crowned him with glory and honor to be rulers, to be rulers over the world that you've made. He sees the, the fact that God created us in his image to rule as, as a kingly type of title. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's what kings do. Kings rule. And God has created us to be the, the kings over his creation. And we're supposed to rule well. You know, God doesn't create kings in the hopes that they'll take advantage of and misuse and destroy uh, the, the thing which they are ruling. They're supposed to care for it. And things are supposed to flourish under their care. And that's what he created us to do for creation. And so Psalm 8 is an inspired reflection on the creation account, and it's a beautiful psalm. But what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at another passage that uses Psalm 8 in a slightly different way to yet again make another profound point. Uh, in this passage, Psalm 8, which is written, I think, originally about humanity in general, is applied specifically to see how it refers to one person, one person who became flesh and blood one person who became human, and how he was crowned with glory and honor. And it's talking about Jesus. And this comes from the book of Hebrews. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, the first uh, two chapters of Hebrews. I guess we'll be in chapter 2, but, but we're going to back up a bit. Um, but we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. And that's where the Hebrew author begins to, to analyze and to think about Psalm 8 as it would apply to Jesus who, like us, became flesh and blood, and he became human, and he became one who was made for a little while lower than the angels, and he was one who was crowned with glory and honor. And we'll look and see what he has to say about that. It's a profound—Hebrews is, is an awesome book. It's profound in many ways, um, but, uh, but I, always, I always enjoy getting to spend some time in it. So that's, that's what we're going to do tonight, is, is spend a little bit of time in the first few chapters of Hebrews. Um, <clears throat> so if you look at Hebrews chapter 2, In verse 1, he says, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. 
All right, so anytime you start off reasoning, reading and he says, for this reason, you have, to, you have to know that he's just finished giving you a reason. Like he's just finished a pretty lengthy explanation of something. And so chapter one, if you were to boil down what the main point of chapter one is, I think you can see it in chapter two and verse one. Chapter one of Hebrews is calling us to be good listeners to what we have heard from God. He says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Chapter 1 is about getting us to listen well to Jesus. And here's how chapter 1 does that. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 1, the first line of the book of Hebrews. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son. So in chapter 2, when he says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, that's what he's talking about, to God speaking to us and his son. So, so chapter 1 and verse 1 and chapter 2 and verse 1 are very much connected, and everything in the middle is demonstrating why it's so important to listen to Jesus. Okay, so in chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2, uh, think about these two verses. There's two different times that are being addressed as to when God spoke. He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets. Long ago to the fathers in the prophets. But now he has spoken in these last days to us in his son. The verses actually follow the same structure. It's like he spoke, it gives you the when, the to whom, and in what way. He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets. He spoke to us in these last days in his son. And so uh, what is going to happen then is he's going to begin to describe how great and grand and glorious and unparalleled in every way this son truly is. And if you're going to listen to someone, it makes sense to listen to him. And so he'll go on to describe the son in verse 2. He, sa- he says, Jesus is, he says, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So that's a pretty good reason to listen to the son. So like he, he is the one through whom the worlds were made. He is the one who is the exact representation of the very glory of God. He is the one who made purification for sins and is now seated at the right hand of God. So when he speaks, listen. He goes on to begin a comparison between Jesus and angels. And it might seem at first a little, a little strange. Why is Jesus being compared to angels? But... Do you remember when he says he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways? That speaking that was done, uh, which we, we might uh, refer to as some of the prophetic writings of the Old Testament, and not even just the writings, but the prophetic speaking of, uh, that, that would have taken place by the prophets in the Old Testament, that type of speaking that was done was often seen as being mediated through angels. Like angels had the message from God and they brought it to the prophets. And so that's why prophets were able to do that. You see this in a couple of passages in the New Testament. Just, just quickly look with me at Acts chapter 7 and verse 53. <clears throat> Acts chapter 7 and verse 53. You can, I guess we can back up to verse 52. But this is during a famous uh, sermon by Stephen that at the end of it, he, he ends up getting stoned for this sermon. But um, as he is drawing his conclusion, he says, 
which of the prophets did your uh, fathers not persecute? And they killed those who previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become, you who received the law as ordained by angels, yet did not keep it. He says, you guys have rejected, uh, like, the, the Messiah, the one who was prophesied. You've become the murderers of him and all that. But notice how in that he mentions, you received the law ordained by angels. Like, angels are directly uh, connected to the, the giving and the ordination of the law that was given by God. I think you can see something similar in Galatians uh, chapter 3 and verse 19. Galatians 3.19, Paul writing about the law and, and its purpose. He says, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come uh, to whom the, the promise has been made. And so even, you, you see in a couple of passages, just in, in quick reference to the law, they mention the, the role of angels in that process. That is, I think, an important hidden assumption in the book of Hebrews. Uh, he, he'll, he'll make reference to it here in a little bit, but it's one of those things that sometimes, sometimes if I'm talking to you and we both know each other and we know kind of all our, our background beliefs, I don't have to spell out every one of them in conversation. We just assume certain things as we're talking. Sometimes that happens in the Bible uh, where people who know each other and who share the same worldview and beliefs will talk about things. And there are certain just assumed uh, uh, facts and details and background behind their conversation that if we are not a part of it, we just kind of walk into and sometimes we think, well, what are they talking about? Well, right here, I think it's important to note that he's talking about two different times that God spoke. One of those was in his son. One of those was in prophets, but it was ordained by angels, the message that was given and delivered. So with that being said, verse four of Hebrews chapter one says, talking about Jesus, his son, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And then he begins this series of quotations from the Old Testament, comparing passages about the son, the king, to angels. And Jesus is the one who is called his son. And so he begins to see a lot of passages that are about the son. They say things about him that were never said to angels. Uh, like, for example, um, in, in verse uh, chapter 5, or chapter 1 of verse 5, which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. Here's what he says of the angels. This is in verse 6. Let all the angels of heaven worship him. It's like that's, the angels are supposed to be the ones worshiping. They're not the ones who are worshiped. Jesus, however, would be the one who is worshiped. Or in verse 7, his angels are uh, spirits and his ministers are a flame of fire. But the angels are ministering spirits. They're spirits who minister and they have an important cause. In fact, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, are they not ministering spirits? The word minister and spirits both come from that verse right there, verse, verse 7. But anyway, he's going through and he's comparing Jesus and angels, or the Son and angels. Um, in verse 8, notice what he says of the Son. He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. So you can go through all of chapter one, and it's just quotation after quotation from the Old Testament where Jesus is called the son. He's called the one who's anointed. He's called the one that the angels worship. He's called God himself. He's called the king who holds a righteous scepter and has the oil of gladness above his companions. And all of these things... In in contrast, angels, verse 14, they are ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. So Jesus is the one that people worship, and angels are the ones who serve the people who worship him. And and so there's there's a difference in what they, in their their excellence and in their importance, which all goes back to verse 4 where he says, he has become much better than the angels. One of the things that Hebrews will often do is is, uh, compare Jesus and another thing and describe how Jesus is so much better than that thing. Well, right here he does it with angels. So when you get to chapter 2, and this is where all of us hopefully will come together for just a second. Um, When you get to chapter 2, he's just described how great and glorious the Son is. And the Son is the one in whom he spoke to us. So, verse 2 says, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard— from the Son, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and that's where we get what I was talking about with the angels being the ones who are uh, seen as instrumental in, in ordaining and bringing about the law. He says, if the word spoken through them, that's the first time God spoke to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways, ordained by angels. Like, if that word proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, verse 3 says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was first spoken through the Lord? So again, just look at verse 2. The word spoken through angels versus verse 3, the word spoken through the Lord. Uh, There's two different times that God spoke. One was long ago, to the fathers and the prophets uh, in many portions and many ways, spoken through angels. And then one, he spoke to us in these last days through his son, through the Lord. And all of this is his way of saying, listen to him. So the whole first chapter of Hebrews where Jesus is shown as being greater than the angels, it is important to know that he's greater than angels. Jesus is not just an angel. He is the one that the angels worship. He is far superior. But there's also a reason that Hebrews is making that point. And the point is so that we will listen to Jesus as opposed to simply listening to the word spoken through angels or the word spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets. Jesus is the one that we give our ear and our attention to now. And throughout Hebrews, he will make constant reference to who you're listening to. It'll pop up every couple of chapters about who we have been hearing and who we have been listening to. And it goes back to this early introductory chapter where we're told to make sure that we are listening to the Son, listening to the Lord. So, having said all of that, uh, he mentions that God, in verse 3, he confirmed what was spoken through the Lord. He confirmed it to us uh, by those who heard. Verse 4 says, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So, like some of the apostles they were able to go out and confirm the word that was spoken by the Son and prove that it was true by various gifts and miracles and signs and these works of the Holy Spirit. All of these things served as a way of confirming to us the message of the Son that we should listen to and make sure we never drift away from it. Hebrews is written to a group 
who seemed to be wanting to drift away from what they heard from the Son, perhaps back into that first time God spoke. They uh, seemed to be Jewish Christians. Some of this is debatable, but Jewish Christians who had come to accept the Messiah and had become followers of him, but because of of uh, perhaps persecution, which Hebrews mentioned several times, perhaps because of uh, some of the the societal frustrations that would come as, as being neglected or being removed from your community, from your family, they started to think, you know, I'm suffering here because of this new movement that I've been involved in, and life was so much easier back in the old way of doing things. Why can't I just drift back into that? And Hebrews is saying, because God spoke long ago, and he's spoken to us and his son, and we have every reason in the world to keep listening to what he spoke to us, to keep listening to the son, and don't drift back to the word spoken through angels. Just compare the two. Jesus is so much greater than angels, so listen to him and the word that he has spoken. He can... He even proves through all of those Old Testament quotations, which is that word spoken through angels. He's like, if you listen to those words spoken through angels, even those are going to lead you to the Son. So keep listening to the Son. And so that's that's kind of his foundational point for the book of Hebrews that he's going to build the whole rest of the book out of. But having just made this big, long point about Jesus being so much greater than angels, he's about to then bring up another point about a time when Jesus was made lower than the angels. He is so much greater than the angels, so make sure you listen to him. But there was actually a time when Jesus was made lower than the angels. And that's what he's about to get into in chapter 2. It's an important time to, to note because this is where Jesus connects with us. And we find out that by his time being made lower than the angels, he's able to connect with us in some powerful and profound and, and, and unique ways. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse uh, 5 through 8, he says, For he did not subject to angels the world to come, so, like, the world to come wasn't being given to angels uh, concerning whom, uh, of which we are speaking. But one is testified somewhere saying, this is verse 6, and this is that quotation from Psalm 8 that we started off the lesson talking about, that we talked about this morning, about, you know, David, when he's considering why God would care so much for mankind. He says, What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him... For a little while, lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have appointed him over the works of your hands and have put all things in subjection under his feet. So the the point there in verse 5, he's saying it wasn't angels that he put all things in subjection to. It was his son. It was the one who was crowned with glory and honor. He's the one who put put all things in subjection under his feet. But notice right there in verse 7. There was that time when he was made lower than the angels. And then the next verse says, crowned with glory and honor. So just think about uh, the, 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 what Hebrews has been doing with Jesus, starting off with like this ex- exaltation. He's so much greater than the angels. He's so much better than the angels. But then it goes down. 
but there was a little while where he was lower than the angels. But then it goes right back up. He was crowned with glory and honor, and all things were put in subjection under him. But you have this little dip right there. And that's where he wants to focus on throughout the rest of chapter 2. That little point, what happened to make Jesus lower than the angels? And what happened to have him crowned with glory and honor so that all things were put in subjection under his feet so that he can now rise back above the angels? What happened during that time period? And that's the time period that you and I would call the incarnation. So Psalm 8 is written about humans, men and the son of men, who are lower than the angels or lower than God. But that's actually not an insult in Psalm 8. To us, that's, that's a, his point is that's a very highly esteemed position to be in. He's saying, when I consider all that you've made, what is man? Why do you care so much about man? You've made him just a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to rule over the works of your hands. When he's applying it to Jesus, he's saying, Jesus is so much greater than the angels, but there was a period where he was lower. But then he was crowned with glory and honor. So, so Jesus, as one of us, is able to share in the interpretation of Psalm 8. But it looks different for Jesus. For Jesus, it is, it is a, a demotion to be lower than the angels. For us, it's, I don't know, it's a promotion, or at least it's a status of, of, of a very high status that God loves and cares about us. But Jesus was demoted before he was promoted. So what, what is that all about? Well, we keep reading, and he, he'll, he'll tell us what he's thinking here. And he'll, he'll, he'll get to the point that he's trying to make. In verse 8, he continues right after uh, that quotation where it says, You have put all things in subjection under his feet. He then goes on to say, For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But we now do not yet see all things subjected to him. So we're still looking... Uh, to some future day when all things will completely be subjected to this one, to Jesus, uh, who is made lower than the angels and, and raised up. But here's what we do see now. This is verse 9. But we do see him who was for a little while lower than the angels. All right, so he quotes the verse again. We do see him, and then he tells us who he's talking about. Namely, Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. And remember, that phrase, crowned with glory and honor, also comes from that quotation. So here's what he does. He says in verse 9, the one made for a little while lower than the angels, which is a quotation, and then he was crowned with glory and honor, which was a quotation. That is him being made low and him being crowned and being promoted back up. What happens right there in the middle? The expression you get is, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death. That's what's right in the middle. Jesus' faithfulness to suffer and die during the incarnation, while he was human, while he was a little lower than the angels, he was faithful to God and he suffered and died. And because of that faithfulness, through the resurrection, he was raised and crowned with glory and honor. He did this as an act of obedience to God. You can keep reading Hebrews. He'll get to chapter 5, and he'll talk about how he learned obedience of the things which he suffered. Like, Jesus is God's appointed and chosen king, and this is one of these kingly passages, because he was faithful in earth, faithful enough to, to suffer and to die. And so Jesus, by being lower than the angels, and this is, this is what I'm hoping we'll see in this lesson, he was able to accomplish several things by becoming like us. By becoming lower than the angels. He is greater than the angels. We've known that. He's greater than the angels, so listen to him. But there was a point when he was lower than the angels. And he did several things during that time that connect deeply with us. 
things that we should, that, that we should know and appreciate and, uh, and live for because they connect us to Jesus. One of them is that he suffered and died for us. So that, verse 9, the verse ends, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He tasted death for every one of us, and he was able to rise up victoriously over death for every one of us. Verse 10, he goes on to say, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. Notice that idea of in bringing many sons to glory. That word glory is coming from that quotation where Jesus was crowned with glory and honor. Well, he was not only crowned with glory and honor, but he's bringing many sons, which would be us, many sons to glory. He's, bring, he's, the, he's the pathfinder, the trailblazer. He's the author of our faith. He does that through suffering, and he brings many of us to glory. So that even if we suffer while we're in this life, we're simply following the path of Jesus that leads to being crowned with glory and honor. We're following the, the, the trail that he blazed for us. And so that's where, why he calls us him the author of, or the trailblazer of our salvation through suffering. Verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one, for which reason he is not ashamed to be called, to call them brethren. All right, so here we see that Jesus is able to bring us to glory because of his suffering and death while he was lower than the angels. But we also see that because he was lower than the angels, he's also, verse 11, not ashamed to, be, to call them brethren. We're able to consider Jesus and to be called by Jesus brothers. You know, um, it's amazing to me that it says he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Uh, we talked a little bit this morning in Matthew chapter 10 during the Bible class uh, about that, that pa- passage that says, if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. But if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my Father who's in heaven. And how often it is that Christians might struggle with, maybe because of fear, maybe because of embarrassment, maybe because of awkwardness, being a little bit of a sh- ashamed to talk about our relationship with Jesus. And yet, we have, like, of anyone you should be proud to be able to call brother, it's him. And yet Jesus looking at us, even in our sinfulness and our weakness and our frailty and all of our our wrongdoing, he's still, he's not ashamed to call us his brother. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. How dare we ever be ashamed to call him ours? Uh, But there he says that because he was made lower than the angels like us, he was able to share with us in that. He was able to, to suffer and die for us, and he was able to become our brother. And then it says in verse 12 and 13, he gives a couple of citations again, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children whom God has given me. So Jesus is seen as a a child of God like we are and our brother in that. In verse 14, after all of that, he gives what I think is is really a a home-run crucial point right here. And it's a beautiful passage to know and to think about. Because Jesus did this, he was able to accomplish something. It says, therefore, since the children, that would be us, share in flesh and blood— like we are flesh and blood humans. It's talking about our bodies. Since we share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise 
also partook of the same, meaning he became flesh and blood also. He partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So Jesus, by becoming lower than the angels, suffered and died for us to become the author of our salvation. Jesus, by becoming lower than the angels, became a brother to us. Jesus, by becoming lower than the angels, was able to die, but in so doing, he destroyed or rendered powerless the devil himself. Because the devil's primary tool, his greatest tool against humanity, is death. And that's what he's able to sow, and that's how he's able to keep us under fear, and that's how he's able to keep us under slavery. But Jesus, through conquering death, he took the full brunt of the very worst that the devil could do upon himself, and he conquered it and became victorious over it, so that all of his brothers and all of his family can share in the same type of victory. And so Jesus, by becoming lower than the angels, he did suffer and die and become the author of our salvation. He did become our brother, and because he did that, he rendered powerless Satan, and he stole his, stole his, uh, his, his greatest weapon against us, which is death, by conquering death. And in doing so, verse 16, says, He assuredly does not give help to the angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren. That's us. He had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. That's another thing that happened by Jesus becoming lower than the, bre- the, the angels. He became like us in all things so that he can become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in all that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So by becoming lower than, flesh, the, the, lower than angels, by partaking in flesh and blood, he was willing to die. He was able to become the author of our salvation. He was able to become our brother. He was able to become the one who destroys uh, the work of Satan, the one who frees us from the slavery of death. He's able to become the one who uh, is a faithful high priest. A high priest is someone who stands between the worshiper and the God who is worshiped to connect the two. And what greater high priest is there than one who is both God and man, able to represent God perfectly and man perfectly. And yet, as such, he's also able to sympathize with every temptation that we've had because he himself was tempted. So, lesson this morning, we talk about God's love for humanity. He loved humanity enough to become humanity and to face everything humanity faces. He faced the temptation of being human. He faced the suffering that comes with being human. He faced the death that ultimately comes from being human. And yet, through that, he was able to call us brothers. Because he shares with us in that. And he was able to conquer those things for us. And he's able to come to our aid in those things for us. He's able to be our high priest who represents us to God. He's able to sympathize with us in our sins and our struggles and our temptations. He becomes the perfect high priest. And so because of that, this is chapter 3 and verse 1, and we're not going to go much further. But he then moves on to the next line of the argumentation. He's gotten from Jesus being greater than angels, so listen to him, to Jesus being less than the angels, to 
Jesus now, because he's both greater than the angels and was less than the angels, becomes this perfect high priest who understands the ways of God and the understands the ways of man. And so he's in chapter 3 and verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And now we're going to move on from this point forward with Jesus as this great high priest of ours. But all of that happened because Jesus became humanity because God loved humanity. In that passage in Psalm 8, uh, it's an interesting one uh, because he gets all of this. That Psalm 8 is a passage talking about the honored status that humans have before God. And yet for Jesus to have that passage applied to him, it, it's not just about him being honored. It's about him lowering himself to the level of that passage. Um, But one of the things that's fascinating about the translation of that passage, and so if I were to go back and read Psalm 8 in my Old Testament right here, in fact, let's let's do this really quickly. Uh, Everyone turn your Bibles back to Psalm 8. And look at verse 5. And I am going to ask you to raise your hands here in a second because I'm curious about something. Psalm 8 and verse 5. My, past, my, my translation, New American Standard, this is a 95 update. It says this. Yet you have made him a little lower than God. How many of your Bibles have the word God right there? Okay. How many of your Bibles have the word angels right there? Okay, that's, 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 that looked like a pretty, pretty good split right there. Um, yeah, so there's two different words that are right there. Now, in Hebrew, that word is the Hebrew word Elohim. Uh, Elohim is the word that very commonly uh, is translated as God. If, you, if you're reading the word God in your Old Testament, it's probably Elohim right there. And so the, the standard way you would translate this would be Elohim. But the word Elohim also has a a, a range. I think some of your Bibles, if any of you have the English Standard, might even say heavenly beings or something like that. Okay, yeah, I got a couple heavenly beings. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so that is an attempted and (laughs) in-between. You know, trying to God, angels, heavenly beings is a nondescript way to kind of— but I think think it's probably on to something with that word. Uh, But so the the word Elohim— uh, it's a plural Hebrew word, but it usually is used in reference to God. But it could potentially be used uh, to talk about, uh, like, the other gods. In fact, it is. When you're reading and your Bible has, like, lowercase g with an s, and it's talking about the gods of the pagans around them, it's the same word. Uh, whether it's capital and singular or lowercase and plural, it's all Elohim. Uh, and what it means is, uh, it, I, think, I think it has to do with the might and the power of God. Um, but it also, as I said, it could, it could be translated in some other different ways and uh, like to refer to other heavenly beings. Even human rulers and kings could sometimes be translated with the word Elohim. Uh, False gods could be translated with this word. So it's a word that has a wide range of meaning. Um, I think the Septuagint translators. So the Septuagint is uh, the... uh, the Bible was written, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament's written in Greek. Uh, the reason the New Testament's written in Greek is because a lot of people ended up speaking Greek. And so what happened with the Old Testament is you had translators who translated it into Greek so that Greek speakers could, could read it. And so when you do that, you have to go through every one of these Hebrew words and find an appropriate Greek translation. And so the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And when they got to this passage, when it says, you have made him a little lower than Elohim, Instead of saying little lower than God, 
they thought that Elohim is probably in reference to lesser spiritual beings. Uh, and so instead of saying humans are just a little lower than God, maybe that's, maybe that's too close to blasphemy or something, they're a little lower than other spiritual beings. They're a little lower than angels. And so that was the interpretation in the translation of the Septuagint, which I think is probably a correct one because that's what that's, the Hebrew author has no problems using that. In fact, it works really well with his point. Uh, and so he uses that idea to say, look, if Jesus is greater than the angels and yet he became a human, that means there was a little while where Psalm 8 applied to him. And he became lower than the angels. And if that's the case, what was he able to accomplish by becoming lower than the angels? Well, he gives a good long list of things. He was able to become the author of our salvation through suffering and death. He was able to show us a path forward to bring many sons to glory. He was able to call us brothers. Brothers, He's able to uh, become our great high priest. He's able to become one who can sympathize with our sins. He's able to become one who can destroy the work of the devil and free us from the slavery of death. Because he became like one of us. God loves us. God loves humans enough to become a human, enough to die as a human, enough to become family with humans, and enough to lead a path for us to go back to be with him, to be reconciled with him. That's the depth of the love that God has for the humanity that he created. And you can see this uh, throughout the Bible. I think Hebrews, as you keep reading, goes on to make the point even in even more profound ways. But all of that is to say Jesus became a human for a reason. And the reason was the incredible, indescribable, uh, unparalleled love of God that he was willing and able to reconcile us to him and give us a perfect high priest through Jesus who became lower than the angels. And the offer of that salvation is to anyone who's here and anyone in the world. And if you would like to become a Christian tonight, please let that be known. Take advantage of the offer and the gift of salvation that God offers you through Jesus. And uh, if you have the need, please come and sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.